Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Spread. This is the first episode of Season 6, and I'm your host, Kaz. To start this season, I would first like to say, my TED Talk is out. Here's a clip. So it's become my life's work to create a curriculum to educate young people on consent. Now, the inspiration for this might surprise you, but I got it in my 30s after a visit to a BDSM dungeon. For those of you that don't know, BDSM is a series of practices in erotic role-play that involve bondage, discipline, dominance and submission, and sadomasochism. Now, I know, a lot of people have a lot of misleading information about the BDSM community, but more often than not, we create and curate safe spaces with an array of toys and items for the kinky community to play with, if they so please. It's like a playground for adults. <laughs> In BDSM, everything is negotiated before it happens. And these are some of the rules and regulations that would greet you upon entry. One, do not touch anyone without asking. Even a hug, if you don't know somebody, is a bad move without permission. Two, do not touch anyone's toys without permission. If you're not sure if something is a toy, ask. Three, consent can be withdrawn at any time during an activity. And my personal favorite, if consent is not given, do not ask again. Accept and respect a no as graciously as you would a yes. So this was a clip from my TED Talk, which I gave at TED Women last December. And if you want to listen to the whole thing, head over to the podcast TED Talks Daily. There's a link in the description box below. You can listen to it wherever you're listening to this. They drop a new TED Talk every week. So as well as my talk, you can hear some of the other amazing people who spoke at that conference and tons of others. Now, in this episode of The Spread, Tapiwa a sex educator and rope-tying generalist, as he likes to refer to himself, and myself get to answer all of your questions on sexuality. Some of the topics we were able to cover are kink and consent, sex work, how to be a good LGBTQ plus ally, and the different components of aromanticism. One of the things I love about our live audience is the fact that we get to understand the different things you guys are all dealing with and lend out a helping hand where possible. I mean, our listeners are so smart and so well-versed in aspect sexuality, and I honestly love spending time with you all. I look forward to more in-person events this year and can't wait to share what the spread has to offer in 2022. This year, the year of our... Forget it. It's another pandemic here that we have learned how to navigate better, so we might as well give ourselves props for that. So without further ado, please enjoy this podcast episode. Everybody, welcome to The Spread Live! Hey, thank 
you guys so much for being here. Uh, we absolutely love you. We love being in front of an audience. I am an exhibitionist, so any opportunity that I get to be a little bit more naked in front of an audience, I am here for it, okay? <laughs> yes, and there will be more skin to be shown later during the rope tutorial, so. <laughs> it's more for me than it is for you. <laughs> Because I am a masochist, so I love pain. Me too. Yes! Any other masochists in the house? Oh, I'm by myself. It's okay. Yeah? It's okay. Yeah? Yes. I am also a sub, so I will do absolutely any fucking thing that you tell me. Do we have any subs in the house? Yes. I'm also a bratty sub. Do we have any bratty subs in the house? So I try to be a brat sometimes with Tapiwa, and he'll ask me to do something or say something to me, and, and then I'll be like, or what? <laughs> you know, like, or what? And the best way for him to punish me is to deny me <laughs> the things that I want, like that. Anyway, this is your questions answered, <laughs> not my monologue. <laughs> so does anybody in the audience have any questions? Who wants to go first? Please come up on stage. Put your hands together for them. What are your pronouns? He, him. Put your hands together for him. No, no, not on stage. Just right here, right here, right here, right here. I wanted to ask about the intersection of kink and different types of queer communities and how you see masculinity and femininity play out versus dom-sub roles for uh, different types of queer people. Oh, I love that. Thank you. I'm going to let you take that. I kind of believe that everybody's kinky. So I find it strange that we have like a little, that sort of binary of kink and vanilla. Um, and I find like sometimes like head is kinky to somebody like, ooh, that's, that's nasty. That's, that's next level stuff. Like, ooh, I don't really do that with everybody. <laughs> right? <laughs> and sometimes it's like someone tickling you in the back of your head that's kinky. Like, oh, not in public. Come on, man. <laughs> right? So um, I struggle with the category of saying I'm a kinkster and I don't identify as that. I, I love everything and I enjoy everything. And so well, I was raising hands every time you asked the question, right? Yeah, me and my friend over here. Yeah, together forever. <laughs> so, but what I do find is a lot of kink spaces overlap with a lot of queer spaces. And I think it's, it's about the mindset that people in those spaces come with. Uh, it's often marginalized people, oppressed people, people have been victimized in the past. So it's, it's often people make a lot of effort to make spaces and communities that are very welcoming, inviting, and accepting of others. So difference of any sort is very comfortable in that space. Right? I remember my very first queer partner introduced me to a bunch of all her queer friends. And that's when I started, like, I enjoyed like, wearing like, uh, feminine clothes. Right. And I remember now hanging out in public with friends, being very comfortable because that space was very welcoming. So I find queer and kink spaces to be very welcoming. Of course, it's going to be bullshit because people are people in any of those spaces. But overwhelmingly, I find it's, it's almost inseparable in my experience. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I hope that part answered your question a little bit. Um, I find that when it comes to kink, a body is a body regardless of gender. Um, a lot of kink play is not necessarily based on um, on your gender or on your parts or anything. Um, a lot of kink is not sexual um, and I think that's where the intersection lies because it's it's non-binary 
and it's also inclusive and it's also I think the thing for the thing for me that I love the most about kink spaces is that it's the place where I feel the safest in my entire life. It's I feel the safest in a in a kink space in a dungeon or in a BDSM party or a sex party even. And it's because of how much people discuss consent before play. And it's the place where people respect your body and your choices the most. Um, I was once at a swingers convention <laughs> in New Orleans. And it's, th it's a hotel takeover. So there's like about 4,000 swingers. Yeah, it, yeah, there's about 4,000 swingers spread across three hotels, but it's one specific hotel that it's a takeover. It's just fucking, right? <laughs> It's just straight fucking. <laughs> and, um, you know, everybody asks. Like, even just, you know, like if you're in the lift and you bump into somebody or you just hold on to somebody's shoulder or arm just like that, it's like, oh, do you mind? Do you mind if I touch your hand? And I've learned how to incorporate that kind of consent into my daily life. Um, if, I, if I'm going to hug you, then I'll ask first, is it okay for me to hug you? And the reason why consent is so important for me is I'm, I really like to focus on teaching children consent and allowing children autonomy of their body, especially when it comes to hugging. Like we force hugging on kids. Go and hug Uncle Nani, go and hug Auntie Nani. And I found that I learned so much about consent in these kinky spaces. And I find that any kink space everywhere is literally the safest space for me to be because I know I won't be violated, you know? Yeah, I hope that answers your question. <laughs> Next. Um, I had a question, like I'm having a lot of difficulty with people who are not as open-minded and I never know where to balance between being an ally and like forcing someone to explain their way of living or so. I don't know how to explain this question. Okay, yesterday, let me tell you what happened. <laughs> so yesterday uh, I was at a party and um, my friend said that when her cousin came out, um, he now started acting gay, like waving his hands. And now everybody there was like, okay, I don't understand why just because you've come out that you now have to change your personality. So now I didn't know how to explain that. Maybe it's tied in. How do you, um, not is a question. How can we be good allies? Yes, basically. Do we have any other allies? Oh, I love you guys. <laughs> How can we be better allies? Hmm. Do you have something? I think for me is uh, recognizing when you're fighting on behalf of someone, but you are the center of that fight. Like, let me do this thing so people can see I'm an ally. And it's about inserting yourself in that person's story more than it is about protecting uh, or looking out for your person. Yeah, so I find people often insert themselves into that story instead of being an ally. It's like it becomes now my Like thing. the way people go and take pictures at the children's home. Like, we've taken them food. Exactly, exactly like that, yeah. So for me, it's, it's about not doing that kind of thing. Yeah, that's the first thing that came to mind, yeah. Why do you think you're an, you should be an ally? Ah, okay, cool, nice example. A friend of mine is a queer white woman in Cape Town. Uh, during the lockdown last year, she wanted to start a website that highlighted uh, black businesses. And then what I remember asking her was, have you done something similar for queer people? 
And she said, no, something like, um, maybe think about why you're rushing to fight for black people when you haven't fought for your own people. And then she said, she's like, actually, I think I was trying to posture and gesture. And then she went and set up her own queer-friendly website for resources and blah, 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 blah. So for me, that was like, the distinction was recognizing why she was doing it. And she said, like, oh, I feel I'm white and uncomfortable about black problems. So let me make myself feel better. I really like what you said. It's more about removing yourself than it is immersing yourself um, because it's not a lived experience of yours, particularly. Um, and I probably think that in a situation where heteronormative people are bashing queer people, I think that's a place where you can stand up and say, shut the fuck up. What's the hashtag? Respectfully. Yeah, instead of centering yourself around the problem, like it's decentering yourself around the problem. Um, and not necessarily stating that I'm an ally, so, you know? Because if you're in a heteronormative situation and somebody is bashing queer people, and you stand up and say, guys, come on, you're being assholes, the first thing they'll say, Kwani, you, you're one of them, <laughs> which is the Kenyan way. <laughs> and then, I don't know, the response is, so what if I am? Like, does that change how you feel about me right now? Does that mean you're not going to have this beer with me right now? You know what I mean? It's just, I guess it's also having the balls to be able to stand up for people in their absence and not just in their presence. I think so. Yeah? Thank you for your question. Does anyone else have a question? Can we hear it? Yes. So, um, starting some very public sex work and I'm trying to figure out how to keep myself safe especially in the online space and you're both very public about what you both do so how do you how have you navigated especially the public online space Sapi your answer <laughs> I'm already like getting edgy just thinking about it so from from my perspective, I've I've made a few choices in my life that have allowed me the opportunity to do to be exactly who I want to be. Right. Some of them are a coincidence of the body I'm in. Some of them I actively chose. There's some work I want to do, and for me, all my work revolves around how do I restore some balance in, shall we say, broken African ego. Collectively, as a as a continent, I feel a lot has been done and a lot needs to be addressed and rehabilitated so all my work is based around that but i knew before i started on the work that at some point there are going to be consequences to the people around me maybe to my career maybe to my access to money maybe to my children and i made a few choices one of them is i'm not going to have children so i suppose i've got nothing to lose there's no one who's going to be affected by me being public unless they choose to make it a, a thing like my mom will be like ah but what do people think about me i'm like that's a petty thing. That has nothing to do with me, right? I'm here for a, a greater cause. So part of it was I, I created an environment for myself that put all the pressure onto me and all the risk onto me. So if I get fired or whatever, it's only me. I don't have anyone who's a dependent on my life. Yeah. So for me, it was a very active decision, which not everybody can make, especially if you come into the choices later on in your life after you've already carved out a different life for yourself. Thank you for sharing. Um... It's difficult, Waymo. It's very difficult to go into any kind of sex work, especially if you know that there is 
the option of publicity. I mean, we can create safe spaces, but there's always going to be some asshole recording on their phone, you know? Who's going to out you, and then suddenly, when where nobody knew you, suddenly everybody knows you for the wrong reasons. And people don't outwardly support sex work. You know, people will drive by K1 Street and get a blowjob for five sock, quietly, and then go home and bash sex workers, you know? And you're, you're paying for it, like, it's the kind of world that we live in, and especially in this country that is so anti-sex work, anti-queerness, anti-anything that is so pleasurable. <laughs> they just don't want to see us coming, happy coming people, <laughs> you know? They want to make us suffer. <laughs> Yeah, so it's risky. It's risky business. And I think a part of you has to be like, the work that I'm doing, like Tapiwa said, and I know the work that I'm doing is bigger than me. I know that. And I, I didn't know that when I started, but like a year into my work with the spread, I realized this thing is so much bigger than me. I am not the spread. I'm Kaz. The spread, whew, the spread is a big thing. I'm grateful. <laughs> but... If you understand that the work that you're doing is bigger than you, but also for whatever reason, sex work doesn't have to be that. It can be like, I just, I want to be an exhibitionist or I, wanna, I want to get some extra money or for whatever reason it is that you want to do sex work. I think you just need to go in ready for, and I hate to say this, but in this space that we're in, go in ready for the worst and have your backup plan. What's your plan B? When the worst thing that you think about is going to happen to you, then what? How will you feel? Will it bother you? Like. Tapi was saying he doesn't have dependents. Do you have people that it's th whose feelings it's going to hurt? And then does that bother you? <laughs> or are you willing to have the conversation with people about sex work? Or, you know, what's, what's the contingency plan? Yeah, I think that's it. Hi, I just want to say, um, Kaz, before I ask my question, when you say that your work is bigger than you, it really is. You have no idea the impact that your podcast has brought to my life and the people around me. And just coming into myself, and I really appreciate the work you do. Thank you. Thank and I'm you. having such a good time. Yeah. <laughs> I just want you to like make this a monthly thing if it's possible. <laughs> so to my question, I like what you said, Tapiwa, about the choices that you make and the life that you choose and how those kind of intersect. Um, for the longest time I've been saying I don't want kids because um, I was just thinking about the realities of growing up as a queer woman and you know raising kids as a queer woman in, in this community and I don't plan on relocating to a jurisdiction which is more you know acceptable. So um, I've come to an age where it's seeming a bit more appealing and um, I know my partner is open to it as well. So I just wanted you to talk more about raising queer kids in Kenya and if you have any resources for that. Yeah. Thank you. I guess that's a me question, huh? As a Kenyan, As yes. A Kenyan. <laughs> <laughs> As a Kenyan queer woman. Are there any resources? So I have a lot of friends who are um, in same-sex relationships who are raising children. Um, again, it's difficult. It's going to be difficult. And not necessarily for you, but for... I had a conversation with a friend of mine recently. Um, her and her partner, both um, same-gendered, 
their child now is um, eight years old, and she came home from school one day, and because everybody was told, they have these things where they're like, oh, it's Father's Day. Let's talk about our fathers, you know? And so she came home and she was like, um, <laughs> what are we gonna do about Father's Day? <laughs> and the fact that I don't have a father, like how are we going, those are some of the things that you're going to experience as a parent. And I think the hardest things that you're going to navigate is not your community, but the community that your child grows up with. So it's gonna be the teachers, um, your child's friends and their families. So that is going to affect you more than it will affect the child. You have to remember that whatever you're feeling doesn't need to be projected onto your child because those are just your feelings. Your kid is just curious. Like They're probably gonna be really inquisitive because they're kids, right? And you're probably going to feel a lot of like, oh, guilt. Because I think generally just across the board, mothers ha carry guilt. You know, with them, um, I've gone out for a night to spend with my friends and you feel guilty, like, oh my gosh, I'm a bad mom. I should be at home raising my child. So double it, <laughs> double that guilt. But also try and figure out how to heal so that you don't have to pass down generational trauma. And I think that's the best advice that I could possibly give you because raising a child is raising a child. It doesn't matter. And so if you're able, once you create a safe space for your child, and I think it's so important to create a space that is safe for your kid, once you're able to create that and allow them the openness and the freeness, and every time they ask a question, don't say, oh, you're too young to be thinking about that. You're too young to be asking me those questions. No, answer. And you're going to learn so much more about your relationship from your child. And you're going to learn so much more about yourself from your child. So don't project. Just accept and then just work towards building a better future for your kid. I think that's the best that I could say. <laughs> Any more questions? Um, hi. Gosh, I'm so uh, hi. I'll be scared. Oh my goodness. Um, okay. So the microphone does not bite. <laughs> um, I'm very happy to be here. I'm very happy to be with everyone. Um, but I have a question for most of you, Tapiwa because you said a romantic and I just, it warmed my heart so much. I was, I was about to start crying because I feel like, especially in the LGBTQIA plus community, a romanticism is not ever taken seriously and it's never, gosh, you don't feel romantic connection. What is wrong with you? And it's like, but that's my reality. That's what I feel. And for me, I don't entirely identify as fully a romantic. I identify as gray romantic. So yes, I can get romantic connection, but that's, very rare like it's so rare because my brother has been in relationships my sister has and i remember was it two days ago i was just speaking to my mom about relationships and i keep mentioning to her like just stop waiting because it's gonna take a while for me to get to that point so how as a romantic people do you feel that the representation is there in the community and just how do you navigate a romanticism for you and yeah i guess that's my question Thank right. you. Wait, before you answer, I have a oh. follow-up question, if you don't yes. mind. Uh. How do you define your aromanticism? Like, even just saying I love you romantically to me, I just, I don't know. And even just this year, I was getting to know somebody, and I stopped it just, and they just didn't understand. And they were like, Tina, we're going in such a good way. Like, we talked about progress, and I was like, yeah, we did. But 
sometimes I just don't know how to also tell people because even telling, especially Kenya is so hard, man. <laughs> it was voted the most stressful city in the world. It yes. really is. It really is. Just because um, for me, I remember at some point I thought I'd identified as asexual because I wasn't within my sexuality. But right now I very much know that I'm not asexual. <laughs> um, but for me, it's more so I just cut off that situation and I just didn't know how to explain to them that I just, I just don't want that yeah i don't have i thank answered you your question? yes yes okay. yes thank you thank you thank okay. you thank you um I, I would say there are a few questions that you've you've mentioned now so i'm trying to remember them all um how do you talk to people about it uh as you mentioned you're a bit younger um i'm a lot more confident in how i approach forming new relationships and new connections with people and part of it, when I was still back when I was still on Tinder, my Tinder profile did most of that work. I would put the whole list, and then you get a match every maybe four weeks, right? Because you've done a good job of like showing who you are from the get go. But now I'm more approach it from just have a same way you'd have a conversation about consent, have a practical conversation. Listen, this is how I experience the world. This is how I experience affection. And people often conflate you being a romantic with you being indifferent, and it's not the same thing. Right. I just don't feel strongly about you in this particular way. I care about you. Right. So I like establishing boundaries in the very beginning to say, or not boundaries, context. Like, this is where I'm coming from. I think that's why I feel this way. Maybe it's my childhood. Maybe I've always, I was always meant to be this way. But let's have a conversation now. And at some point, you may fall in love with me. Please know I may not necessarily feel the same way. I've looked at the stats. Yeah, I sure is a question I get a lot. <laughs> People always like, oh, people always assume, oh, you haven't met me yet. Yeah. Oh, the other fuckers before me. <laughs> yeah, you see. <laughs> so, so everybody, everybody is the one. Right? Everybody's going to come and fuck shit up. And inevitably end up back in this place where you become the villain. Because why don't you love me? But I do so much for you. I care so much for you. Why don't you love me back? And so you need to have a conversation about that day before that day comes as well. Listen, this day may come. How are we going to navigate this? And for me, it's like, I have no problem with someone saying they love me and throwing that love at me. I have no problem with it. I'm open to it. I enjoy it. And people often say they feel loved by me. So it's about being a nice person. You treat people with kindness and with dignity. And people receive it as love. And that's great. I just don't feel that's love to me. I'm just being a decent human being. But establish that conversation are we going to break up when my lack of love for you is not enough? Or are we going to keep going on and navigate the relationship that way? So that's, it's not, it's not fair. That it's like coming out every single time. Like uh, you always have to declare this is who I am. This is what's wrong about me. This is what's broken about me every single time. And in my experience, inevitably, I've always come to that day where someone says, ah, this is not enough. Except for my current partners now. But I live with that thought in my head, like, is that day coming? Yeah, so it's, 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 it's a little bit stressful. And because we're in such a huge minority, it's, it's going to be difficult to find empathy from people because it's like, it's almost like you're a flat earther. <laughs> yeah. You're telling everybody, yeah, the world is flat. It's like, uh, have you looked outside? Everybody's in love. What are you talking about? It's kind of like that. So it's a huge, huge, huge difficult thing to try and navigate. But for me, I'm never going to lie. I'll never say I love you. I don't mean it. I used to be that kid. And you, every time you say it, instead of becoming more and more normal and routine, I felt more and more ashamed of what I was doing. Um, so 
be honest with who you are and be honest with yourself to yourself and the right people will come along and they'll vibe with it and it's fine it just will take a bit longer a uh, follow-up question for you Tabua. um this inevitability this feeling of knowing that one of your partners or any of your partners is going to come back and be like um this is not enough for me does that then break your heart? Do you feel pain? It feels like for me, the opposite of love is pain. Mm. So do you feel pain? Do you get heartbroken? Do you feel heartbreak? Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Definitely. So it's, 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 it's what I'm saying is people will confuse it for just like apathy. Me saying I'm aromantic is not the same as uh, emotional apathy. Yeah, I think I'm in touch with my emotions. I'm a very emotional person. So yeah, it, it's, it sucks. It sucks because you know from the get-go, or in my experience, from the get-go, that day is coming, but I choose to go ahead in any case because it's worth it. I'm having a good time all along, and I refuse for one moment and one end point to change the potential of that in-between space. We, as human beings, we like to look at the final product also as a waste, right? Like, for ah, this is the next example. Humble brag coming up. Uh, <laughs> I got my PhD in molecular biology. We are sorry. <laughs> we are sorry. <laughs> so, I got my PhD in molecular biology in 2014. Um, <laughs> and I did a few years as a postdoc. Um, and then I quit my job to start my own company where I make handmade flavors of ice cream that are inspired by the continent. Right. So, it's only African flavors. I was actually, uh, I made uh, Pilau rice pudding ice cream when I was here uh, last Plug week. Plug the page. Eh? Plug the page. Ah, no, it's okay. Oh, you it's <laughs> <laughs> with with you. Oh. You are a whole flavor. Eh. <laughs> so the 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 company is called Tapi Tapi. Uh, underscore Tapi underscore. Tappy. Oh, that's what I'm wearing. Underscore Tapi underscore Tapi on Instagram. But one of the biggest questions I get when I'm at the shop, they're like, oh, I heard you're a scientist or something. I'm, and I'm the the front of the shop. I'm the guy selling the ice cream. And um, they're like, oh, what did you do before this? Oh, I was like, oh, I'm a, a research. Oh, research in what? Then explain the story. They're like, you have a PhD. Why are you selling ice cream? Right? As if it's less like than. Like below. Yeah, right. Whereas it's just like in a different way of uh, existing. So when I say I'm aromantic, it doesn't mean I'm doing something that's less than. I'm just aromantic. I just don't feel the thing that most of you feel, but I feel something else, yeah. Okay, so because I question <laughs> Tapua so much about his aromanticism, my thing is, right, I'll give myself as an example with you. Mm. I think that I feel about you the same way you feel about me, but I've given mine a name, and you just haven't given yours a name. I mean, like, this is also me trying to justify, uh, which is unfair, because he's, ar he's told me who he is. He's already told me who he is, but I'm just like, but wait. <laughs> <laughs> you could also be this other guy. Because <laughs> that, that's the thing. I'm just like, the way I feel about the way you treat me, and I know it's no different from anybody else. You treat me the same that you treat everybody else, the same amount of respect. I know, I get it. But how do you know that the way that I feel about you, because I tell Tapiwa I love him all the time. I feel like <laughs> you feel the same way about me that I do about you, but you just don't have a word. You just call it aromantic you. <laughs> I don't so know. <laughs> it's, you know, aromantic itself <laughs> it feels like an approximation. And uh, for me, a huge challenge is nouns. Nouns are so final, there's no room for a conversation about it. You see, you're dating someone, right? To me, I can go on a date with my brother. So already when you say you're dating someone, what the fuck are you talking about? Mm -hmm. 
right? Um, so nouns do like a really shitty job of expressing the feeling itself, right? And when I look at love and how I see love in the world, I feel like I'm a spiritual person living in a religious world. That's kind of like how it feels, like where love has become a very technical checkbox. This is what we do. And you gotta express it a certain kind of way. And yeah, there's like almost like a little curriculum on how to love. And you can't love your brother like this particular way. You can't love your mother this particular way. You can't love whoever a particular way. So if you are having sex, then you must only, can only love in a certain direction. You know? So I think, yeah, I don't have the word for it. Because the word that's there, I don't, I don't agree with it. Yeah. And I'm a, I'm a person who's very aware of dogma. Love feels very dogmatic to me. Yeah. I, I understand that a little bit better right now. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Come, 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 come. I guess it's just a very small question on that. Like, I get that thing of, like, there's affection and there's attachment. Like, and for me, like, love is attachment. It's like, it's a long-term kind of affection. And it's, it's affection which is, is tied to someone even when, like, you don't necessarily, like, like them in a certain moment. That's, that's when I'm like I, like, I love my brother. I don't necessarily like him all the time. You know? So it's an attachment. It's like, hey, we're in this attachment for the long haul. So when you talk about relationships where it's like even the fear of, like, this might not last for the long haul, that, that's kind of my question. It's like, that's the sense of like needing an attachment for a long term, which is when I'm like, if I love somebody. Because there's a lot of people that I like, and you can have a good moment with them, and it's like, okay, if they go, it's like, oh, this is just a beautiful moment. And they come and they go. But when I know I love someone, it's like, oh, now I want to continue having this with them. That, that is my understanding of love. Was that a question or just a statement? It was a thing. It was a something. <laughs> no, I, I, I got something. Which is a question. <laughs> yeah, I got something. Thank you. Thank you. Um, talking about time and can I say something yeah, while you think? Yeah, tuck in. Okay, so um, does anybody know like the rule, the attachment styles, the, the different attachment styles, yeah. right? Um, that's that's what made me think of the thing that you just said because I feel like people have different ways of attaching and I have been in my life very, very, very codependent in my past. And I've always wanted to be with people that told me that they loved me. My old me would have been the person that you were talking about, the one that is waiting, like I'm gonna be the one who's gonna change this. Old me is that person. Right now, I just like, I love you to be with for whoever you are and whoever you're not. So. If I don't see you for the next five years, it's not going to change how I feel about you and how our relationship is. We're still going to be doing this thing. Like, we work well together. We're such good friends. We have good laughs, you know? This is my thing. And so, like, I have grown from being... A, I was so completely codependent that I used to hate it when my friends, like Kiki over there has been friends with me for a really long time, and Shaz over there has been friends with me for a really long time separately. Ati, for them to become friends with each other. <laughs> like, for me, it was like, no. I brought you two people together, and now you want to go and have wine without me. No. Fuck that, and about that life. And like, I was very, <laughs> just like, 
super, 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 super in my relation, when I was monogamous, in my relationships, very, very codependent. And that definitely has every, everything to do with how I grew up. And everything to do with how you grew up is how you attach later on in life, how, what it, it determines what your relationships are like. And I guess in that sense, I wonder if that has anything to do with that for you and for um, Tina, I think your name is. If, if your aromanticism does, and you did say that, it might have something to do with the way you grew up. It might just be who you are. Yeah, it, it's definitely a mixed bag. Uh, but the thing I wanted to say earlier on was, uh, back to your statement piece. When I meet someone for the first time, I don't, re I don't decide, but there's a, something happens. And from that point, I like this person, or I'm indifferent to this person. None of your actions following that moment can change that. You can treat me shittily. If I like you, I like you. And I always feel that way. You can try and put more sauce into it. That number is, it's not, it's not even like a number. There, there's a, I'm at a point where I feel a certain way about, so the way I feel about Cass today is the same way I feel about uh, when I met her for the first time. Online. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but people then think it's, oh, so it's like this low, low level, level of like affinity to this person. But no, maybe you finally caught up to where I've been feeling and maybe you're going to suppress that or you think you're going to suppress it. But I've always been here about this person or I've always been here about this person. That's it, yeah. So my mom hates this. <laughs> right, because she's, that story of like a mother's love, a mother's bond. And I'm like, that's great. It's coming from your side, but my version of that interaction is her being my mother isn't a huge aspect of who I see as a person. Yeah. So, yes, like, yeah, I'm okay with this person. Yeah. And I think part of it is I grew up, as I mentioned earlier, in boarding school. I had to, I think from like age seven, I was in boarding school. And I'd, oh, fuck. <laughs> These people. Oh, guys, let's unpack some trauma right now. So, um,. My grandmother came to pick him up from school, pick me up from school. She's like, oh, you're going to a different school. I was like really excited. They'd done all the shopping for the uniform and blah, blah, blah. And we're driving for like an hour. And I'm like, where are we going? Where's this new school? We get to the school. She drops me off. I go straight into class because I was in the middle of the term. And lunchtime comes around. I'm like, okay, guys, where are the parents? And everyone knows, what the fuck are you talking about? Where are the parents? That's how I found out I was boarding school. The first lunch I was in boarding school. So from a very young age, I've always kind of like, oh, okay, I'm on my own. Um, and I think that's part of how I now place people in a similar level of value and positioning in life. And that's why I'm like, I don't know if it's the childhood or if it's also a setting that's a genuine setting in some people. Yeah. In my case, I don't. And yeah. it could be, yeah. yeah. Oof. Oh, thank you for unpacking that with us. Mm. I'm going to charge you. Huh. <laughs> feels like therapy. <laughs> do you mind if we move on to the next yeah, question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do that, yeah. DMs. Oh, it's... Um, mm. But now we know it's you. Hey. <laughs> no, there are 10 questions in there. I can see that. <laughs> okay, hang on. <laughs> okay. I'm a straight cis man. I suspect that deep down I'm pan or bi. I really hope I am, but I feel like my cultural baggage won't let me even be open to feel sexual towards men or masculinity. Any tips on how I can slowly get myself to open up and at least see? Mm. I feel like that's the perfect question for you. Mm. Mm. 
for me, what, what was really important was uh, the people around me, uh, the community around me at the time where I was trying to figure out what I'm about and where I'm trying to go in my life. If you can find people you feel safe around to express some aspects of you. Um, so if it's like sexual partners, it can be trying out um, in a heterosexual interaction, you can be trying out things that are seen as queer or gay. So for example, I enjoy pegging. All right. Uh, if you don't know, that's a strap on up someone's ass. Um, and I enjoy receiving it, I enjoy giving it. Right. That's in some ways a world in which you can explore uh, ideas of masculinity and femininity. Obviously, there's a, it's problematic to approach it that way, but it's a n nice little tool to try and be like, oh, sometimes I feel more feminine. Society sees f more feminine people as the people who are penetrated. And I, saying it, I know the problems within that statement, but it is a useful thing to explore as long as you are aware of why you're using that tool and you're not doing it to oppress other people. So in the context of your own space, I enjoy like uh, gender bending and I don't know what it means, but I enjoy it and I only enjoy it with certain people. So if you, I show you that side of me, it means I really trust you and I'm being vulnerable with that person. So find people you can be authentic with, yeah. Yeah, that's what I was saying. That's a good answer. I think at the end of the day, it's always that. Um, that's actually why I created this t-shirt, because it's a saying from episode 44. And I had said to myself that I finally found my kinky black sex positive queer tribe. It took me a long fucking time, but I found my people. And that's what this represents. It's just like, I know my people. And once you figured out who you are-ish, and who your people are, then you become a magnet. And only the people that you want in your life are the people you're going to attract. Yeah, so ju yeah, just be that person. Yeah, I have another question. When it comes to sex, for me, it's always about pleasing the other person. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If they're good, I'm good. Am I ace? I'm uncomfortable with people trying to make me come. Mm, that's a great fucking question. Um, again, I think childhoods. Childhood is definitely, for me, I enjoy giving pleasure. I get pleasure from giving pleasure, and it's sexual pleasure. And I often struggle just like laying the, what do you call them? Pillow princesses? Yeah. <laughs> or cockroaches. <laughs> I, I really struggle with the idea of just sitting there and enjoying being treated. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm just a visitor. I don't know what she's talking about. Sorry, mm. I don't mean it. I don't mean it. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> no, you're not. No, you're not joking. You're laughing. But that's why I'm laughing because it's a joke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm joking. I've never been with a Nyeri woman. I don't know. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, what was I talking about? Uh, pillow princesses. Pillow princess. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, like, if you enjoy your sex that way, that's how you enjoy your sex. Um, if you're all about giving pleasure, I would say one question why that's the case. Um, maybe there's something that's happened in the past where interaction with your body becomes a problem, so you're giving pleasure to avoid receiving pleasure. But if you've interrogated any of the possible sources for these feelings and you are comfortable that they're healthy sources, then enjoy your sex that way, yeah. 
there's no prerequisite that we must all come, we must all, we must all, we must all. If the pleasure for you is just that giving pleasure, then great. But the difficulty is finding someone who is on the receiving end of that as well. Um, I would say, again, conversation, communication is so important. And for some people, it becomes a, a matter of personal pride. Like, she can't come, he can come, they can come. It's something wrong with me versus actually, no. I'm enjoying my sex. I don't have to come. I'm enjoying my sex. You don't have to touch me. It can be mental even, right? You can have sex with someone who's not even in the same room. So enjoy your sex, yeah. That's what I say. Also, uh, there's a lot of pressure around coming. Yes. Yeah? yeah? And then there's a lot of pressure around, um, especially with like, uh, or um, vagina owners who like to have sex with penis owners. Um, and pe uh, penetrative orgasms. There's a lot of pressure around that, yeah? And it's very rare for vagina owners to have orgasms from penetration. Yeah. It's a very rare thing. But there's other ways in which you can have orgasms in the same context. You can always touch yourself while you're being penetrated. There's so many different ways in which to um, achieve an orgasm. I know we find a lot of shame in some of the ways that we can make ourselves come. But also, it's the same. I feel like it's very similar to what you were saying about aromanticism and um, having a conversation with somebody from the get-go so they don't have to keep asking you, have you come? Have you come? Have you come? And then you end up lying yeah. or faking. Yes! It's like, yes, yes, fuck, I've come. Shit. <laughs> Will you shut up now? <laughs> so I think the best thing to do is like before you start your play it just be like look i enjoy having sex i may enjoy pleasing you um i do enjoy being pleased i may not reach orgasm but i am enjoying the sexual experience that's not what ace is ace means that you have little to no sexual um need or want for any other person um so if you're not interested in having sex also you if you enjoy pleasing somebody and you're ace you don't enjoy actually feeling any kind of sexual feelings towards anybody else, but you enjoy pleasing them, go ahead and do that. But if you don't enjoy any of it, <laughs> then don't fucking do it. Like, respect yourself. Yeah. Because we, we, do, we do get into these like spaces where we feel like we need to be something. You don't have to be in a box. You don't have to be ace. You know, you can be curious, like the C in the LGBT alphabet. I think what you said is, is the most important thing. Communicate with your partner before you go into a play session. What are the things I want? These are the things that I just communicate. Like, I'm not going to come, so please don't try and think that, Ati, oh, maybe the other people didn't make you come, but me, I am the one, superhero. Captain, come. Yeah, you know. <laughs> It bees like that someday. I just want to add something to that. <laughs> okay. Um, I think uh, sometimes we conflate sensuality and sexuality and pleasure. And uh, like you're going to see later on, we're going to do a rope session. It's going to have nothing to do with sex. Um, For you. But <laughs> All right. Uh, so yeah, certainly I'm coming in uh, with this as a sensual experience. In the same way, you can get a massage from a partner, from a lover, feel fucking amazing, 
and not have it have to do anything with sex. Did I do the English right? Sure. Um, PhD guy. PhD. Dick. It's a family-friendly restaurant, please. Wow. Um, yeah. So if you're gonna be exploring pleasure, just because one of you ah, this is so great. With a lot of my work, with the rope work, it's intimacy work, it's a sensual work. And for a lot of people, it's the first time they're exploring that kind of sensual pleasure. And their mind pulls up reference material. The last time I felt this way, I was having sex. So this must be a sexual experience. Whereas I've shown up, I'm just doing my work. Right. So for me, I'm just doing my work. And that person is having a sexual experience. So in some ways, some forms of being aces like that. Like, I'm having a good time, I'm doing something I'm enjoying. But I don't necessarily feel I'm having sex. And the other person is, who's receiving it or the other people are having sex. And that's fine. Yeah. So we're going to wrap it up there, just like a condom. Ooh. And yeah. thanks. <laughs> I'm here all night. <laughs> Shaz, you think I can do comedy? <laughs> what? What? Would you guys come for my comedy show if I was a... Yeah. No. <laughs> Shut your face. Okay. Thank you guys so much for being here. Thank you so much to Piwa. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Please be sure to follow us on all of our social media platforms. We are at The Spread Pod across the board. And you can listen to all of our past episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Till next time. Bye. places I want to hide. I don't want nobody else seeing me naked. But I risk it for you. I want you to take it. Cause I know not something special so i just wanna lay down my body and just expose myself to you oh baby so lay down your body and just expose yourself to me too because i want your love will you give me love make my dream a reality